Good morning. It's your girl, Joy Melody, and we're here to help you start your Mondays off right. We're here to talk about a little education, a little mental health, and the music we use to cope in this crazy, crazy world. I hope you enjoy the show, and you're listening to Morning Joy. Good morning. We're going to start over. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today. Could you introduce yourself to all the listeners? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Erica Kimberly. I'm from Bridgeport, Connecticut. And if you don't know anything about Connecticut, it's fine. But Bridgeport is the largest city in the state. And we're about 45 minutes from New York City. I'm okay. currently, yeah, uh, currently in an EDD program. So getting my doctorate in education. And I'm studying organizational leadership and higher administration. I have my master's of fine arts and creative writing. So in one way, it kind of seems like those two things don't make sense. But I'm sure we'll get into a discussion about how I'd like to hybrid creativity um, with leadership development and also education equity. And um, that's a little bit about me. I think that's a short overview. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's I mean, I can see how I guess I can see how people would not understand how that could connect. But because I've talked with you, I'm like, it makes perfect sense. Um, (laughs) So like, duh. Um, But yeah, like, how did you get from an MFA to Doctorate of Education? So when I was looking for master's programs, I really wanted to have a program that would give me some teaching experience. So a Mm -hmm. lot of people tried to push me to get a master's of arts in teaching. And I really knew that being restricted to a K through 12 environment was just something I did not find interesting and something that I did not want to do. And this is where I really, I try to tell people all the time, like, trust your gut when it comes to research and when it comes to academic programming. You can do what everyone else is doing and be miserable, or you can wait, you can continue to look for programs, find your niche, and cultivate a space that excites you every time you open a book and every time you enter um, your courses. So I found an MFA program in New York. And for everyone who doesn't know, like an MFA is a master's of fine arts and it's the highest degree that you can get in art. But the cool thing is not really that it's the fact that it's a terminal degree. Mm -hmm. So that was something that made me really excited because I thought, okay, I could see myself teaching on the college level. I could see myself hosting community based workshops. And so I thought that that space meant um, was more in line with my personal interest than just going the traditional route and getting like a K through 12 teaching certificate. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I've always, I loved writing, and I use writing as a vehicle for all of my educational programming. And when it all came down um, to, like, the the bottom point in a pyramid, I thought, you know what? You care deeply about creativity, and you care deeply about education equity. And the real disconnect between those two things is public schools continue to be defunded, right? And so the Mm -hmm. first thing that they do is cut art programs. Right, right. So for me, it just made sense. So I was able to study writing and I was able to um, do a lot of um, teaching while I was studying. And I've done a lot of that afterwards. So it's been really wonderful. It's challenging work because you're you're really pushing up against systems that have been put in place for a very, very long time. Um, but But I think that there is a new generation of young people who want to use creativity. I think of like Chance the Rapper, right? Like he's Mm -hmm. always talking about schools and he's using his voice and his artistic talent to to highlight some of the education issues that that are in Chicago. And on a very micro level, I try to do that in Bridgeport. 
Well, I mean, it's not micro. I feel like a professor told me like two weeks ago, he's like, sometimes we try to catch, cast our tent too broad when, you know, mm. you can, you can make a big impact where you are when pitching a small tent, you know? So I don't want you to think that it's micro. It's definitely macro, especially for you. Like it's macro. You're doing school and you're like still impacting the community. That's a big, that's a big deal. Um, Cause I still find myself trying to be like, I want to make an impact on the community, but I have 14 books to read this semester. Oh my God. What am I gonna, like balance. What is it? And then, um, yeah, but you're definitely right. Um, about they cut the arts and I'm uh, a few weeks from now I'm gonna have my friend come on and talk about he's in a music education so I think this is like perfect bridge for that future conversation and I definitely can remember being young and like thinking I wanted to be like a singer or Beyonce or something mm-hmm. and wanting to write and do all these things and I can vividly remember conversations of like well that's not gonna get you any money or but you need to do science too, or, you know, so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, how do you combat that with kids today? That's an excellent (laughs) question because my, no, it's all good. My third grade teacher discouraged me so badly because I wrote a haiku in that class. She had taught us how to write them. And I decided in my third grade mind to take that um, assignment further while kids were doing like other activities, I continued to write more haikus. And she said to me, you know, these are really good. You must've taken them from the back of the book. And that was like my first, first negative experience with creative writing. And I thought, wow, okay, I should never do this again. And I continued to write, but like never in that class, I just would like write at home in a journal. Um, and Every now and then I try to share it with my teachers and I always found that discouraging statement like, oh, you're either too good that this can be true or you need to pick something else up because writing is just a hobby. And so I would combat that really by giving students more exposure. Something that I'm very, very excited to do is connect students to published writers. I mean, the woman who wrote The Hunger Games lives in Connecticut and kids don't know this. Right. And like this woman is a multimillionaire simply because she had an idea to write a story that became a movie series. Right. So like, will we all become the next best, like whoever? Maybe not. But there is money. I also think of someone like Eve Ewing, who's in Chicago and like I low key stalk on Twitter. And, <laughs> <laughs> like, I think a lot of people do. <laughs> exactly. But she along with many other Chicago writers right now are changing the game simply through persistence and they're making some money in a genre that for years has been quote unquote moneyless. Mm -hmm. So I think that one, we have to press up against (laughs) social norms and we have to, as community people, um, really press publishing companies to give equal opportunity despite whatever genre is out there. Mm -hmm. Um, two, I think that students need to understand that there are creative careers out there. So I've worked in marketing departments as a technical writer. I've been able to design catalogs. I've been able to use my creativity and my love for language and marketing campaigns. And had I not majored in English, would I have done that? No. Like it was really risky for me to major in something that I really didn't have a clear goal with. You know, I was like, well, I'm just going to see how this works. God is good. Like, he'll do it. <laughs> you know? Like, 
I, I matched my faith with hustle. And I believe that no matter what you desi- decide to do in life, if you put your hustle where your faith is, you'll get results. And we wouldn't have iPhones if Steve Jobs didn't do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I really think it's just about opportunity and it's about exposure. When kids see that there are publishing companies out there that are willing to hire editors, like they get excited about that. So you won't know to desire what you don't know exists. I'm taking notes. You won't know. <laughs> I'm so serious. You won't know it's real. And I tend to be a, a high level risk taker, but it's it's worked out well for me. And I think that if we, some of us can just pave the way we can blaze the trail by being a little risky. And then if you look behind you, someone is going to catch up and they're going to walk that path or they're going to run down that path. So, um, that's really my advice is just like be a little risky and but did you I hate to say this but like even in that risk like did you have another plan because I'm all for mm-hmm. taking risks but then also like let's not just go quit your job and uh <laughs> just mm-hmm. hope that some bills get paid somehow yeah so I'm very practical so I feel you 100 percent. my my plan was um corporate Okay. So I worked in corporate for about seven years before I started nonprofit work. And when I worked in corporate as a technical writer, mm-hmm. I paid for my summer courses for my master's program cash. Come so on now. I tell people this too, right? Like you do need to eat. Like the starving <laughs> artist thing, like I'm not really with that. <laughs> right. Because, you know, ramen has a lot of salt in it. And you're going to die sooner or later and sprother sooner than later. I feel you. But that's smart. Like, you were able yeah. to pay for master's classes in cash? This shit is expensive. Excuse it me. But no, it, it is. It is. It is. And, um, again, just back to the hustle piece, I, I, I believe in that. And I think that you have to work really, really hard. So creativity and talent will take you. It may bring you to the table. Right. Right. It's not going to keep, keep you there. there. Right. Come on now. It's not going to keep you there. So um, I definitely, <laughs> I, that was like my plan. And I thank God for like my family because they're super supportive and they've always helped me kind of navigate my passion for creativity with my desire to be an intellectual. And so my dad has always said, look, you can contract yourself out as a tech writer, like pick up side projects and you know charge people so he kind of embedded that logic into my brother and I so we've always thought about the professional work and yes that's so that's real my dad always said multiple streams of income mm -hmm. yeah exactly because a lot of kids I mean they're relying on one check and if you're a creative you have to be able to fund a lot of the work that you want to do so Mm. this week for instance Friday I hosted um, a creative writing workshop at a local back to school event. And it was at one of our community colleges. Like no one pays me to do that kind of work. Right. So I need to have money. I need to have a well-paying job somehow or multiple jobs that allow me to do that. So my plan B was always um, to contract myself out as a creative writer Mm -hmm. and as a technical writer because I was making good money and I still think that that's like plan B, right? Like if if life folds for whatever reason, I tell people like, if I don't make it for whatever reason, I know that I cook really well. And I know that I can go back to corporate and make money and get bonuses and be miserable in a cubicle. But like, 
my ribs won't be touching. So that's a good thing. What is, I, I mean, I might be just a little bit ignorant in this way. I don't, I've always heard technical writing and I automatically go to like people writing about science. Like what is technical writing? So there, there is that. There are some technical writers that are more uh, science-based, but most technical writers are writing or creating instruction manuals for different products. Okay. So I worked for a locking company, and I essentially would write like their software and their mechanical manuals to install the product and then create catalogs that corresponded with whatever products we were selling. That sounds extremely boring. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> high key boring and (laughs) I hated that job like I can't even tell you I hated that job but you know what it taught me perseverance and it also taught me that I needed to have a strategic mindset okay so a lot of creative people tend to be a little airy and like flighty and it's just like oh like life is just one big stream of colors and and it is (laughs) But working as a technical writer, when you have to write a 200-page document with photos and images, you're you're going step by step. So mm-hmm. I think that that eventually served me well. It helped me think about how to break down really complex information. And now I use that in the classroom, and I use that in all of my community-based projects because the world is such a huge place, and kids have to learn how to dissect that and then make it into smaller pieces and figure out how to bring it all back together again. So it was useful, but... Right, I mean, and now you're in a uh, ED program and you're looking at leadership and organization and, again, step-by-step process. Absolutely, absolutely. He what? He wastes nothing. He absolutely wastes nothing. (laughs) I missed it. I was not feeling well this morning and I was going to not go to church and I was rolling over in the bed and I'm not going to go... And I couldn't go back to sleep, and I felt this nudge, and it was like, take your butt to church. So mm. I went, and it was a message, and I was like, see, God, you really, you know, yeah. You, you spoke to me. It was about Job and, you know, hallelujah, anyhow, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I, you speaking to me over here about waste, God waste nothing. I'm like, God waste nothing. Remember that. You, all these red marks come back on this paper you about to submit. You didn't waste your time. Uh, (laughs) he's just revising your future (laughs) praise the lord oh yes revising come on somebody come on (laughs) with this academic praise Uh, (laughs) but when we were talking about when you were coming on the show you you mentioned something that um was interesting and i would like for you to if you would like to touch on it briefly you had said that you were interested in um helping students become historians of their community Mm-hmm. What is that? What does that mean? And in my head, I'm thinking like because you're helping them become creative writers, they're telling the story that's not been told, and then one day we'll look back. Is that mm-hmm. what? Are we on the same page? Or I don't know. We are. No, definitely. <laughs> so I think right now, now more than ever, we're seeing a huge gentrification process in most of America's cities. Mm-hmm. I, and I think that as I observe Bridgeport. In particular, I'm noticing that many people who have lived in the city for a couple years are quick to dismiss the the stories that have existed in this space prior to their existence. Mm-hmm. What's tragic about that is history not only points to our future, 
but history has a huge way of grounding <laughs> the people. Right. And when we try to erase history, it's almost as though the people then become insignificant because their history doesn't matter. And we've seen this in America, right? Like this is the story of Native Americans. This is the story of that us as descendants of slaves. This is the story of immigrants. Like, and I take all of that very seriously. So I encourage young people to capture their stories, whether it's through video, through photography. I love mixed media. So I've taken a lot of photos and I've written poems and I bring those two mediums together because I think it's important for a native person, right? Mm -hmm. We're all native to a space. So a native person to tell their story and to own their story. So a lot of times, for instance, I'll use like education reformers. And mm -hmm. quick, oh, we got to, you know, take this school, close this school. We have to, you know, close this neighborhood community center. It's been here for 80 years, but it's just not good enough. We'll start something new. Right. But the trouble with that is you remove the anecdotal evidence that proves why a particular method was used. Mm. And you cause more harm to that community than good. And right. when that happens over time, you create more problems than you ever did solve. And that's what my, my current frustration is. And that's why I'm highly invested in getting young people to be an active journalist. And I told the kids that on Friday and they all looked at me like, what? And I said, think about it. Go back to Reasonable Doubt. When Jay dropped that album, his mm. whole intention was to tell the story of Marcy Projects. And we're still listening to it today. That means something. You think of Biggie, like everything that he told us about his life mm -hmm. is a historical document that we can use to navigate that space. And it also, in my mind, is just as important as whatever data we can pull out of a journal. That's so true. You know, but we don't I don't think we have enough voices at the top of academic institutions that are really willing to take the lyrics or to take a video or to take a hype Williams music video and say, this actually belongs in the library right next to Mark Twain. Well, yeah. Cause you know, um, cause black people did it. So, uh. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but I feel you, I'm taking a history of education, uh, history of African-American education class this semester. And I don't think I've ever been this angry before. Mm. Um, and then I'm also taking history of American education, which that's a whole other podcast episode of why they're two separate classes, you know, mm -hmm. you can address that, but it's yeah. very, it's true. We, I mean, reading, I have to finish this book this weekend, Schooling Citizens by Moss. And we talk about, it talks about like, basically education was to make people citizens, but that's why African-Americans were left out because we weren't considered citizens. So we came up with our own ways to tell our story and to become educated. And it's so funny. Now these are the ways that you see teachers trying to implement in their classroom. So their students learn things. And it's like, right. black people have been doing this for a minute now. Mm-hmm. In case y'all mm -hmm. didn't know, but y'all <laughs> rapping these songs to people, we've been doing this. Like, oh. I... Absolutely. And we're forced to continue to innovate <laughs> the ways in which we do it, which is, mm -hmm. I mean, I would love a, a, the list of books that they assigned um, for that class because that sounds definitely interesting. <laughs> yes, Thank it's you. nine of them. It is nine. 
it's nine <laughs> books and and then I have history and I have four books in that class but um it's very interesting because like I find I'm like you know okay I'm a little I guess woke as the young people say I'm like I'm I'm awake you know I'm I'm mm-hmm. wanting to change the system and then like I read I'm like I hate everyone mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly I hate exactly. you all um and just uh it's just so crazy that we white white people just were like mm, black people are dumb but we also are scared if we educate them that they'll rise up against us like but to know that like education has that power and no right. matter like education and schooling look completely different and like i'm so here for you combining creative writing and education because i think that's not it's not done like i still have um i still have a spiral of poems that i wrote when i was in elementary school i don't know how i could read them because my handwriting was atrocious but i still <laughs> have them and it's I can remember, you know, people saying, like, why are you writing poems or, like, you know, but I, I don't know. I, if In another life, I think I would have got an MFA and mm-hmm. done all of those little things. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people would. Like, I meet so many people who have, I think we're we're all born with creativity, right? So mm-hmm. that's number one. But we're it's not normalized and it's not something that our society takes seriously, which is unfortunate because you can go to different countries where art is uplifted right. and it's upheld and it's a social norm. But in the United States of America, it's just not that way. But when I think of authors like Jasmine Ward, who wrote a book, Men We Reap, and she highlights the lives of all the black men in her family who have either died or been murdered in Mississippi. You walk away from a text like that, again, with the anecdotal evidence that systems of oppression do exist mm-hmm. and that they're challenging um, to, to break through. So had we not had that story, we would still know that those systems existed but i believe that the creative storytelling just sheds a brighter light so that's why i tend to want to use that as the twin to a lot of the intellectual or like academic work that i do i appreciate that i i'm for it i just finished a book in the middle of summer called willow wheat for me um and it was about a lady a black woman who was struggling with depression and how she went through not acknowledging she had depression. And then by the end of the book, she acknowledged she had depression. And then in the back, like the appendix was all the sources she used and like numbers to play to get, go to get help. And I was like, this is amazing. Like black people, we need this. I, that's why I started my blog about, um, I have a blog of blogging about my journey with mental health and being a grad student. Like, people don't talk about it and mm-hmm. I guess it is a creative outlet and it isn't normalized but it's so funny it's not normalized but like people who create the tv shows we watch are creative people so I don't, exactly don't really understand um any of that and that was my segue into the fact that you like queen sugar as much as I do oh my god <laughs> I just whipped my head back so hard um <laughs> I mean, that show snatched my life. Okay, so let's start right here. You know yes. that this show came from a book. Yes, which I it's on my list to read. But yes, I do know it came from a book. Okay, same. So this is, my Amazon book list is crazy. Yeah. There's so many things on there. No one when can we get done with money to buy my books. 
on my list. You know, I agree. And I feel like there needs to be a fund for academics so that we can read creatively because all the other material is so heavy. Yes. Let's let's start it. I don't know. Go find me. Let's get it done. Hey, now. You're my type of woman. Go get it. <laughs> we do need to do that. But yes. so Queen Sugar is, is hatched <coughs> my life from day one. Day one. I was like, oh my gosh, who knew farming would come for me so fast? Had no idea. <laughs> okay, I was like, oh, okay. It's so true. What I love about this show, well, there's many things, but one of the things that I love and I've always been really interested in is like the Black family experience. Yes. And so I feel like Ava Duvon, first of all, she's genius. Ava is like masterful when it comes to weaving people's lives together so i know yes. that the, there there's the book part but then she kind of like extended the book into this series and the complexity of each character is oh my gosh oh i mean ralph angel girl you can just stand on the screen and i'll be fine i'm just starting <laughs> ralph angel if you come to connecticut ralph angel yeah he likes like my him. tweet. I tweeted. <gasps> yeah. So I wrote a blog post and it was, it was right after one of the episodes of how like they were sitting there still blaming Ralph Angel and he was trying to be better. And you know, that whole dinner scene when they're like, no one's leaving. I wrote yes. an article. I wrote a blog post is talking about how sometimes we're Ralph Angel. And I tweeted it to Kofi and I was like, Hey, I wrote a blog post about your character and he liked it. And which like, all these other random people started liking it and reading it. I felt important. I was like, oh my God. You, like you are important. You like my tweet. But yes, she does. Sorry. She does such a great job with the black family dynamic. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. There's so much to die. There's so much to go into. I, how did you feel about this last season? That's what I really need to do. Just... I thought it was really great. You know, obviously I was all in my feelings because I felt <laughs> like I was crying all over the place. I think that there's such the challenge that each character faces and then this small light of redemption mm-hmm. that Ava is trying to create for all of them, no mm-hmm. matter how dysfunctional, how disenfranchised, that all of that was just so powerful. And even um, like I'm thinking of the sister dynamics, I loved seeing um, Charlie come full into herself you know we meet her and you can tell like she's in a very wild marriage like high level codependency i feel Mm -hmm. um to see her this season step into her own strength and into her own fullness and still kind of like wobble her way through it Mm -hmm. right that's life oh my gosh and i i wish that i could have watched something like this when i was coming into my 20s because that's how i felt like you're trying to become your best self, but you're making so many mistakes as you do it, knowing that one day you're going to walk straight. I loved that. And I loved when she had them curls popping because I said, oh, natural Charlie is here now. She, <laughs> she oh, she's black now. She's back. Oh, yeah. she back. Yes, yes. Just all those little things were so, um, so meaningful. And then, of course, the whole, like, Darla... that scenario like the type of woman that she is and her standing up for herself oh my god she's in this relationship where she wants to be supportive Mm -hmm. 
but she had to choose herself a couple times along the way. And that spoke to me because I, girl, listen, <sighs> spoke vol- and I was like, Ralph Angel, you are a jerk. Like I'm sitting there yeah. yelling at the screen, like <laughs> you are an ass. Like, what do you mean? She's not choosing her side. She got to get a paycheck. Like you'll have a child. Like what is happening? I don't know, but it goes to that goes to that Ralph Angel just was felt he's felt so like abandoned mm-hmm. his siblings girl this and this goes right back to us talking about creativity telling a story and a narrative I mean that mm-hmm. history of the black farmers yes. in that in that parish and dealing with the white people um trying to take their land and then making prices go through the roof and, and it's just like it's we would like, never know this this story if there wasn't a book written on it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, also the types of women that are in this show, I find mm-hmm. very, very interesting. So I think also of like Nova, who in the first season, we see her dealing with different types of men. And we all know that like none of these situations are good. <laughs> none. Not a one. No, not one. And then we see her with this type of man who is intellectual. He goes about a lot of his work different than she would like him to. Mm-hmm. But I really loved the fact that they learned a little bit from one another. Mm. And that that reminds me of what I feel black relationships can become when we let our guards down. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like the cool stuff I learned at 30, you know, so I was <laughs> going to see that on TV. I was like, oh, okay, I'm on to something too then. Because like... <laughs> No one is coming to you fully formed for you. We're just molding around one another. So I was like, all right, Ava, shout out to you, girl. You did that's that. That's true. You just, that's, I couldn't, I, I can never explain why I love that show. Cause I watch that show and then I watch, do you watch Greenleaf? I don't. If someone oh told me I need to get, get that on to. my. You need to. So I own the season cause I don't, we don't do cable, uh, me and my me and my boyfriend like you know we don't watch enough tv we'll just buy the season and be like so i have been addicted to greenleaf since it came out and then last okay. christmas break he we went our separate we went home and whatever and he was like hey can i log into your amazon and watch greenleaf i said okay this man is addicted and so now like every week we watch the brand new episode but it's again the family dynamic but it's in the church oh mm-hmm. my god in the black church and it's just like oh that's gonna take me out, but I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> it. It will take you out, and it's on Netflix now. So like the first season's on Netflix, um, probably first and second. I think it's a third. I don't know. I can't keep up. But like you deal with, you deal with the black church and how that operates. You deal with the family secrets, how black people in black families look at uh, sexual abuse in the families and how they don't talk about it. It's like one of these shows where you're just like, uh, this should have been came out a long time ago. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just talking to you about the creative aspect. It's just like, oh my God, it's in everything. And talking to you now, looking at the shows I like to watch, it's like, these are telling stories that we wouldn't have gotten to, gotten to hear, but we know they're important, especially this, the show, This Is Us, that you put me on. A lot of people told me to watch it, but then you had tweeted, that's what you watch. And I've been sick all week watching This Is Us crying my eyes out <laughs> not <Every> getting <laughs> not getting any better because i'm crying every dang episode um oh i'm not God. finished with season one yet but like i'm um, i think i have like five episodes left that's literally how i've just been on the couch stayed at home like two days in a row just sick just okay i'm just gonna be in my feelings while i'm sick um 
Oh, girl, I just... Every time I saw your tweets, I was <laughs> laughing out loud because nobody prepared me for that show. Nobody. <laughs> nobody did. People were telling you know? me it was emotional. People were like, get your clean out. I was like, whatever. I don't cry in shows. Show whatever. Well, no, I no. cry all the time. This is the problem. Like, I get touched very easily by things. <laughs> you know, I'll be watching, like, Bambi, and I'm like, oh, my God. No, ma'am. You so cry when my mom got shot? I can't. I did. I did. <clears throat> As a child, I did, too. I, my dad loves to tell that story. He's like, I thought that she got shot the way she was crying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a mess like that. So, I was nobody prepared me for that show. What mm-hmm. happened was, I was stressed out with schoolwork and I said, you know what, take a break, do something different, you know, and that's really as your backdrop for your blog is mental health and the grad journey. I think that's beautiful. So I've kind of created a little list of pick me up. So whenever I feel stressed, I do something, you know, manicure, pedicure, just different. Go eat brownies, for instance, like (laughs) I go bake the brownies. (laughs) (laughs) Like go buy a snack. Yeah. Um, So I just randomly went on demand and I was looking for shows and I just picked that show. (laughs) Big mistake if you're trying to relax. Like, girl, (laughs) I was bawling my eyes out. I had to text my brother. I was like, oh my God, do you know that this show exists? Because he's huge, huge, like TV show and movie Mm -hmm. buff. And he was like, let me look it up. So he looks up the show. He's like, I would never watch that. Because it just seems depressing. I said, yeah, this is coming from my spirit in a major way. So I continue to watch it. I put my homework to the side. And again, family relations, um, the racial undertone, right, with adopting someone who is not your race. Like, how does all that work together? The resentment of the, the siblings. I mean... The oh. the fat shaming, oh right? Gosh, Even when, you, right. when you're shaming yourself. Oh, my goodness. It's just that show overwhelmed me. And I could not chase that with Queen Sugar. I was like, look, you have to pick one. Because <laughs> it was just too much going on. I was like, no, I need to, like, watch this and then do Queen Sugar. But that show is, is really good. So once you finish the season, please let me know. Because I need to debrief with you before... The next season starts. Well, I don't know if I'm gonna finish before the 29th. Is that when the new season comes? I think yeah. so. I don't know, but I haven't been feeling any better, so I might be right back on this couch. <laughs> um, after <laughs> um after football goes off, I'll commandeer the TV and be like, "Give me the remote. I'm watching. Um, I'm watching this." But no, it really. I'm on the episode where they went to Memphis. I just finished oh. that episode. So oh. yeah, the whole half the tissues are gone. Not, you know, just <laughs> drying my eyes and blowing my nose at the same time. So drying my eyes, blowing my nose. It's terrible. Um, but it was, I really, it, it touched me in such a, a good, in a good way to finally put my feelings into like this, I don't know, words. And I, again, right after I started watching it, I wrote another piece and I, well, I had submitted, uh, to BuzzFeed, but it didn't get accepted. But it was about, I called it an adjacent love story a story of resentment and finding your true self or finding my whole self because mm-hmm. I'm the youngest of three. Okay. And to me, like my sisters could do no wrong. 
like it felt like growing up it felt like they could do no wrong right like mm-hmm. they're perfect and I'm the youngest I keep messing up and I just and I kind of felt like watching this I kind of felt a little bit like Kevin but also a little bit like Randall because mm-hmm. like I don't know like um resent me because my sisters were perfect but also like Randall because because how I, my mom died when I was born so I definitely could see like maybe my parents paid a little bit my dad paid a little bit more attention to me so yeah it's just been like hitting me mm. and all of my feelings and but I was I, it made me so happy that Kevin left the play to go find Randall I was like oh my god yeah that ruins me that took me what off. would your dad do <laughs> exactly exactly I felt like Randall in a lot of the episodes because of his drive for success mm-hmm. and control. And I always like, I'm, I don't feel like I'm a controlling person now, but I think when I was much younger in like high school and in the beginning of college, I had performance anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of those kids, like I went to a magnet school, heavy testing. This is also why I'm anti all of that, because I know firsthand yes. that that's very stressful for kids. Um, and so, I remember in elementary school, like heavy emphasis on what high school I went to and then like graduating Mm -hmm. top 6% of my class. Okay, what college are you going to? And all of that put a strain on me, which is why I now feel free enough to like love creativity and to to look at rules and say, actually, I don't need to live by all of them. I'll just live by the ones that make sense for me. And so Randall's character, I think, is so beautiful because... I think there's a lot of him in all of us, which is why the title of the show works, because he he is smart, but with intelligence comes responsibility, and mm. it also comes with resentment, whether it's social or through your family, and we don't talk about that. You know, what happens to the sibling that's the smart kid, you know? And then the other kid who doesn't feel as smart, but has a level of intelligence that maybe everyone is not focusing on. So, right. Whew, that show just had me that and mm-hmm. Kate, Kate was, she was messing me up too, because she couldn't accept and receive that good love. Oh my God. Listen, ain't that a, li- listen, that's a whole dad. Li- that is my life. We could have, that was my life. For a little that. With other people, I'll just be there yeah. to say amen. Cause you know, I, I right. Right. <laughs> No, but that's so true. Like, it's so many things. And, like, it all goes back to creativity of someone decided this story needed to be told. And it's so, ugh, it is us. That is, I didn't even think about that being the title. I just thought that the title was This Is Us because it described them, mm-hmm. not thinking that it described me. And then here you go, changing my life that, like, <laughs> now the show is about me. But it, it was confusing to me the first episode. Yes. Because I was like, why are they in this old ass hospital? And then, like, <laughs> were they middle of nowhere that they don't have, like, a, and I was like, oh, when I saw him ask him for a smoke, I was like, they don't smoke in hospitals anymore. And that's when I realized like, my health part was like, they don't, they allow smoking in hospitals. What, con- what county are they in? Like, that's literally, like, I was like, what, what backwoods hospital exactly. are they in right Let now? Let me be shady. What no, red that, state? Because that's what I thought. I right. Like, what red state are they in right what, now? Where they smoking? What, what hospital are they in, Mississippi? Because I need to call. <laughs> the health department because it's not okay but no it really has yeah right after you had said i watched this is us i'm like you know what you're the fifth or sixth person telling me i should watch this is us so i was i put it on hulu and i haven't been 
it's just and I want to be I told I told my boyfriend he needs to watch the show because I want to be like Randall and Beth because I just feel like when I'm older that's what we're going to be like they're so like they're so perfectly imperfect but perfect Mm -hmm. I don't know Mm -hmm. that's my it's my life oh my god but um absolutely yeah you're amazing and you're doing amazing stuff um is there anywhere that people can find you twitter a website all that good stuff and i'll you can tell them and then i'll put it in the show notes yes i am on twitter (laughs) i love twitter so i'm at erica underscore kimberly um erica spelled e-r-i-k-a because you know people like to get that all messed up Mm -hmm. and i have a website ericakimberly.com and I do a lot of like book reviews and just highlighting some of the books that I'm reading. And also I have a website called tobepraised.com. And that's just about like women's leadership development and spiritual development. So I do a lot of um, online Bible studies, online chats. I host like women's dinner parties. So we just talk about uh, women, just the way that we lead in our work, in our lives. Um, some women are clergy. There are other women who are like, business owners and I love it because I feel like there's so much we can learn from women when we sit down and like give one another a voice similar to like what you're doing right now with this podcast like I love things like this because we just need more content you know positive content so okay. those are two places that I exist I'm so happy I don't even remember somebody I think retweeted you I think so. Yeah, I was like, I don't even know how in following each other on Twitter. And then I <laughs> randomly tweeted, I need, I think I tweeted, I need, I'm looking for guests. Yeah. I don't even know. And I was like, oh, snap. And I went and read all some of your tweets. I was like, oh, she seemed, she seemed cool. <laughs> um, but what are you reading? You said you talk about what are you reading. So what are you reading right now? Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you asked this question because I am crazy. <laughs> so I did. I bought Eve Ewing's book of poetry. If anyone is listening, please buy that support local and national poets because it's hard to make money as a poet. So her book, what's the name of the book? It's called Electric Arches. Yep. Amazing. I, I need to buy it. Yes, it's an amazing book so far. But the novel that I'm reading that I also think you may love based on the shows that we like is... Oh, Jesus, don't don't wreck my life with this. <laughs> Sing, Unburied, Sing. And it's about a Southern family's challenges. And it's a biracial boy who... Um, well, I'm not, I'm not even going to do that. So just read this book because <laughs> it talks about... Um, <laughs> like mixed race in the South. And it's also dealing with our family structures and some of the issues that we have in families when it comes to substance abuse. And Mm. um, it's really, it's important work. I think that that's why I love it. It's done in a very, very um, humane way. So each character Mm -hmm. is treated with a level of sensitivity. And even the characters that are very irresponsible, there's a light about them, which I think is human because no one is completely evil and no one is completely good. We're all... I think there's one person that's completely evil, but that's for another podcast. Well, are you talking about Satan or somebody? Somebody. (laughs) They're they're orange and red like Satan. But anyway. um, Anyway. um, (laughs) I'll actually look into that. I'm from the South, so I love things about the South. Mm -hmm. Um, Books about the South. um, it's It's a whole different culture. Um, now that I live in the Midwest, Southern, Southernness, it's, it's completely different, but yeah. I will look into those books and I also put those in the show notes. Awesome. Um, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to talk with us. And I hope the listeners love it and Likewise. have a great rest of the day.
Oh my gosh, you need some medicine. <laughs> I do. I just right before I called, I just woke up from a nap, like that good old Sunday nap. I was like, oh snap, I gotta call. Let me go. <laughs> Let me get on this phone call and go back to bed after I get off. Um, but thank you so much, and I'll send you the link when it's up. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciated it, and I loved our chat. Oh, I loved it too. No problem. Talk to you later. Ready? Bye bye. <laughs> bye bye.